Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, Grace Bible Church. We are kicking off a new series today and you should, I, I would be so sad if I failed to mention this, you should have an awesome pack of fruit snacks with the logo, the nine, what God is producing in you. Um, we are thrilled to have you with us here on this Father's Day. Um, you, I'm not gonna tell you whether or not you can eat these in here while this is all going down. That's up to you, I'll leave that up to you. Um, I'm sorry for those of you joining us online, we do not have fruit snacks for you. So, um, but we love you and we're super grateful that you're joining us online in that way. So uh, again, we hope that this will be a blessing to you. I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in this morning to our new series, if you would join me. God, thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, as we begin this journey together in trying to cultivate in our lives character traits that we call the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, we know we can't do that on our own. They are a byproduct of our relationship with you. And so I ask God this morning, as we look at each of them, Lord God, that you would speak to us and you would show us and reveal in us these traits. Because at the end of the day, God, I believe your spirit wants to shine through each and every one of us. That you want us to have honorable and attractive character so that others around us see it and desire it themselves. And so, Lord, I do pray you would be with us as we go on this journey. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to have you do a little exercise, and, and this is basically all you're going to do is you're going to stand up with me. We are going to just stand. You'll be seated in about five seconds. We're going to read together Galatians 5.22. It's going to be the focus of our study for nine weeks at least, right? Um, if the Spirit gets a hold of it, maybe more, I don't know. Um, but at least nine weeks, we're going to be looking at this verse. And so what we're going to do is we're all going to read it together. Um, The words are on the screen. The version we're reading is the CSB. That's the Christian Standard Bible version. Um, It's also the version, I believe, that the song, many of you, you know about the song. There's a kid's song that you learn to memorize this, the fruits of the spirits. If you missed out on it, I promise you'll know it later. So, but we're gonna read this together. We're gonna start, I'll start and you guys follow along with me out loud and it doesn't have to sound awesome. It just has to be said, right? So, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You all can have a seat. Give yourself a round of applause. I'll tell you what. That was amazing. It was almost like you rehearsed that. Did you come in here earlier and rehearse that? I think you might have. <laughs> you might have re- rehearsed that. So I want to tell you guys a story about fruit. So not too long ago, I want to say it was uh, three or four years ago, we took a team of students here at GBC. It was 2018. We took a team of students to Puerto Rico. 
um, to help with disaster relief after Hurricane Maria. So I have a picture. This, is, this uh, picture was taken right near a baseball stadium that we stayed at. We were staying at a baseball stadium along with FEMA. They were also there uh, providing aid. And so we were there. And this was just a little bit of what you saw when you walked around, just things that were mangled and, and dysfunctional, broken down, the infrastructure. But our team split into two groups. Each of us were helping two different families on top of these very, very large, not mountains, but they, I mean, it was, so, it was sea level. And so then you'd go up these, you would drive up these huge things. And if you're like, if you forgot to put the parking brake on, goodbye, rental van. I'm just saying. Um, they were steep, steep, steep hills. And at the top of these hills, we, we helped these two families. And so I have a picture here of my team. Um, we, we helped a, a family. Uh, the husband's name was, uh, we didn't really meet the wife very often because she was staying with family, but his name was Santo. And uh, we, what we were doing is we were rebuilding some uh, cinder block walls. And we, for a long time, I didn't have a clue what we were doing, like making these boxes on, and I had no idea. And what, what we were doing is we were setting concrete beams. But the guy who would communicate with us, knew, knew, he didn't know any English. And so he would just like point, we'd like cut a plywood and we would just hang it on the wall and he'd just say, all right, nail it there. And so we did. And then eventually after we started cutting rebar and making these, these rebar beams, I was like, oh, we're setting concrete beams. And so it was hard work and it's hot in Puerto Rico. It's 70, 80 degrees every day, but it's like really, really humid. It rains every day. And so we were there doing that. So at the end of the day, we'd be tired, we'd be sweaty, and so we would venture down this giant hill, and there was a local business at the bottom in the valley in that neighborhood, that municipality. There was a lady that sold popsicles out of her house. This is a picture of us with the popsicles. Um, I do not even remember the lady's name. She was so, so sweet, and I'll tell you, you can't beat the deal. It was 50 cents for a popsicle. So we would go down the hill, and we would buy like 50 of them. <laughs> Maybe that's an exaggeration. We'd each eat like two or three, but they are to this day the best popsicles I have ever, ever, ever had. And her popsicles had no tricks. They were great because of the fruit. You see, she grew fruit, and you can do this in Puerto Rico because it's beautiful. And, and, and Santo, he had a bunch of fruit trees in the back of his yard as well. And before the hurricane came through, he even had more, right? Well, this lady, she grew fruit in her backyard. Um, which was not really a yard, it was more like a hill, but uh, with like palm trees and, and different fruit trees. And so she would gather the fruit, she would then like do her thing with it and then freeze it and we would get to eat it. It was so good, it was the freshest, most tasty fruit we've ever had. And again, there was no secret, right? If she had made it out of rotten fruit, it wouldn't have been any good. If she had made it even out of flash frozen fruit, it probably wouldn't have been as good. The secret to her delicious popsicles was the fruit. And I got to tell you, when it comes to developing our character, right, we all want to have good character. This is true. Our character is only as good as the fruit that we cultivate in our lives, right? I say this, if we're looking to cultivate good fruit in our lives, if we, if we do that, if we're committed to that, then our character will often impress people, and more importantly, it will put a smile on God's face, right? I don't know anybody that wakes up saying, man, I want to have bad character. I, 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 don't want to, I want people to look at me and say, man, that is, that is someone that has some lousy character. No, I think all of us deep inside want to have honorable character. It's just a matter of how to do it, right? So over the course of the next several months, we're going to be looking at what we're calling the nine. That is the nine fruits that God wants growing in our lives. And again, we've already read Galatians 5.22. We just read it a moment ago. And we're going to be trying to figure out how can we cultivate that in our lives so we can have impressive, 
honorable character that is attractive to the world. So people see that and go, wow, I want that kind of character. But then also puts a smile on God's face. So that's what we're going to be doing um, as we go this time through this series. I got to tell you, earlier in my 20s, I used to read uh, The Fruits of the Spirit, and I thought, I got these nailed down pretty good, right? And then I had kids. Yeah, yeah. And then I started making a shopping list of fruits I think I needed more of, right? Like patience, like I needed that one. Uh, Kindness, sometimes I'm not the kindest. Gentleness and self-control, right? So if you're like me, maybe you find yourself, you, you see this list and you go, you know what? I could use some more of that in my life. I could use some more, you just fill in the blank, right? With one of the nine that you struggle with. And, and if you're like me, maybe you, you think, you're like, I've gotta, I gotta go attain that. I've gotta go find that. I've gotta go get that for myself. And so we're gonna be talking about how, how can you cultivate it? How can you obtain it? How can you get access to these different fruits? And the first fruit we're gonna talk about is love. But before we talk about love this morning, I need to share a few facts about the nine fruits that God wants growing in our lives. And this is the first thing. The seeds of these fruits are planted in us when we first trust Jesus. The seeds of these fruits are planted in us when we first trust Jesus. Second Peter 1.3 says this. His divine power has given us everything Note that word, everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Right, another verse, Ephesians 1, 3 says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every single spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. All right, so as we read these two verses, Peter and Paul, they were both writing to Christians and they were essentially telling the Christians, listen, You have at your disposal already everything that you need to live a godly life. There is not a single spiritual blessing that you do not already have access to as a Christian. When you trust Jesus, the seeds of these nine fruits and and so many other blessings that we're not focusing on, but we're focusing on these nine fruits, they have been planted in your life. You don't lack any of them, right? So even me as a parent, there's days where like, God, I wish I had patience. I feel like I don't have patience. That's not an accurate statement. I can't say, what aisle is patience on in the store of spiritual blessings? I wanna go find that, purchase it and take it home. No, you already have patience, Stephen. You just aren't cultivating it in your life. You already have patience, Stephen. You just lack the sense to utilize what God has already planted inside you. I think often when we look at the fruits of the spirit, we, we, we're tempted to say we're missing some of them, but that's just not the case. God has given us everything for a life of godliness. I think the best way I know how to explain this or to show this, um, especially when you go, well, Stephen, I, okay, I see the verse. I see that you're saying I have every spiritual blessing. Why does it feel like I just don't have any patience? I gotta be real careful not to spill milk all over the awesome carpet. By the way, um, this is a side note, but the sermon series of fruit, there's so many memorabilias that you can, like I bought this cup for this. It has lemons on it. That's right. We're just, we're just really fruity today, aren't we? Yeah. So, so this is a cup of white milk and I, I wanna kind of illustrate exactly what 
I believe God does in our lives when we trust in him. He puts in us all the fruit that we need for a life of godliness. But I'll, I'll have you notice, when I pour that, and I get, I get that it kind of stirred up a little. It's not as, as it doesn't work as well with uh, the strawberry milk, but it's the fruits of the spirit, yeah. Um, as the chocolate milk. But you'll notice that when you pour it in, it's in there, but at the top, if you were to just look directly down into the cup, you would say, okay, God's given them all the fruit that, in their life. They have the nine in their life. Then why aren't they patient? Why aren't they kind? Why, why do they explode with anger or rage? Or what's going on there? Why, why isn't it working? It's because, it's because when you, he's put it in us, but we have to learn to cultivate it. We've got to learn to cultivate it. And the way that we cultivate the nine fruits that God has already put inside of us is we stir it up. And then suddenly, it's, if we, we've got to continuously stir it. It's like living by the Spirit, right? Building a relationship with Jesus, talking with him, praying with him, inviting him to be a part of our lives. And, and then suddenly, we're no longer boring white milk, but we are magically delicious, right? I, wrong. I know what you're thinking, wrong cereal. That's, that's Lucky Charms. You're thinking Fruit Loops. I don't know the tagline for Fruit Loops, so help me. But... Um, but honestly, that's what we have to do is we have to stir up those fruits that God has already put inside us. He's already put inside us, right? And that's, that's, that's why we, we say the nine, the nine fruits need to be cultivated, not obtained. Like it's important to know that. You're not lacking it. Don't grow frustrated with God when you're impatient and say, God, I wish you would give me patience. He's like, I already did. I just want you to access what you already have access what you already have. Now, I should mention this too. This is important in, in terms of these fruits, talking about the nine. We, that is our, ourselves, cannot cultivate or stir up the nine on our own. We can't cultivate or stir up the nine on our own. John 15, five says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit or produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. So it's real important. You can approach these nine characters that are mentioned or these nine fruits of the spirit with this kind of like self-help mentality. And let me tell you, it's gonna be a long, hard road if you approach it that way, right? There's a story of Benjamin Franklin writing down like character traits that he wanted to perfect. He had this long list and he would go one by one. And by the time he got to the end of the list, he looked at the first one that he thought he had mastered and he had already had lost it. Right, so, so, and that, that, by the way, I think, in honesty, is, is actually how self-help works in some cases. I'm not saying self-help's all bad, it's not. But, but what we can do with these nine fruits is we can say, well, which one, I'm gonna tackle one of these and I'm gonna muster up my, you know, I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to be patient or I'm going to be kind or I'm going to have gentleness. And we can't cultivate that in and of ourselves we have to be connected to the vine. And when we're connected to the vine, then we'll produce these fruits and it'll be abundant. And you say, well, how? How do you connect to the vine? How, how do we stay connected to the vine? Well, that's what we're gonna be focusing on in this series. Each week, we're gonna be looking at ways of how can we access this particular fruit. But I gotta tell you, even as we're giving you these practical tips, it all goes back to this, this illustration. We've gotta be stirring up our relationship with Jesus. 
right? It's not a self-help thing. It's a, I'm on my knees praying, God, 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 not give me patience. God, I know you gave it to me. Help me live out that patience. God, help me be kind, right? I know you've put kindness in my heart because your spirit is inside me. Help me be kind, Lord. Help me have self-control, right? Like I I have it, I have it, but Lord, help me live out that self-control. And you stir that up by by being on your knees and praying and asking God to, to, to live through you. And also you stir it up by reading God's word and then it produces this fruit in you, right? You stir it up by being in community with other people and being encouraged and challenged by them to live a life that is fruitful. It all comes in context of your relationship with Jesus. You can't have it on your own, right? Amidst the crazy, crazy, crazy of our lives, Jesus is whispering to us, without me, you can do nothing. Right? This is not self-help. Right? If, we, if we turn this into self-help, the fruit in our life will be at best flash frozen, but more than likely rotten. Right? It won't be the fresh, off-the-vine fruit like the lady that made those popsicles. And so we're going to take a look at the first fruit, love. Right? We're going to take a look at the first fruit, which is love. I believe it is no accident, by the way, that love is mentioned here first because I believe that without love, all the rest of the fruits would be lackluster. I mean, it's just, there's a reason it's put first. The reason all throughout scripture it's talked about so much, maybe more than these other traits. In fact, the English word love appears 528 times in the NIV translation. That's the translation that Carrie typically preaches out of. And then I do as well just today. Uh, we're doing CSB for whatever reason. Just, but the word in this particular passage, Galatians 5.22, is the word agape. It's the word for like uh, undying, unwavering, fully committed love, the kind of love that God has for us as his children. This is used 115 times in the New Testament alone, right? It's also used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew equivalent. But in the New Testament alone, it is used 115 times. It's a very important idea that is very, very near and dear to what the identity of a true Christian is, is love, Right? Now, we do not have time to define love in its entirety. I think it would take an entire sermon series, especially in a world where love is misused so much in the media and in regular conversations that, that unpacking the, the full definition of love could be a sermon series in and of itself. But I do want to just highlight just for a moment love, and then we'll talk about how we can cultivate it in our lives. So love cannot be defined outside of a relationship with God because as 1 John 4, 8 says... God is love. God is love. And again, our definition of love has to be filtered through God's character of love as revealed in scripture. So we can learn what love is only through reading how God loves through scripture, right? Like otherwise we're just, we're coming up with our own definition of love, which doesn't really work, right? So I wrote this down. This is kind of a combo of some, a verse in 1 Corinthians 13, but, it's, but these are a few facts about love. Love is patient. It's kind, it's unselfish, it's unprideful, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, it does not keep score, or like doesn't keep a record of wrongs or rights, it hates evil, it bears all things, it believes all things, it endures all things, it is sacrificial, that is to say that it puts, when you love someone, you put them before you put yourself it delights in the truth. It is not rude. It never ends. These are just a few of many definition, defining things that, that tie to this idea of what is love. 
And it's, it's interesting, and we don't, we'll, we'll unpack this in a little bit, but this list, if you were to read these, this list that I just shared with you, a lot of which comes out of 1 Corinthians 13, it's a chapter about love, you would notice that it's very different than the world's definition of love, right? Very, very, very different. And so we're gonna ask the question this morning with our remaining time, how can we cultivate, how can we cultivate and how can we stir up love in our life? How can we do that? right? And I'm no gardener, but I do know that in gardening, you've got to do a couple things. One, you've got to learn what causes wilting and avoid it. You've got to learn what causes wilting and avoid it. And so we're going to talk a little bit this morning about the roundup of love, the roundup of love, um, what causes love to wilt, you know? So, you know, I've been told that roundup kills weeds and a whole lot of other things. So um, I'm sorry if you work for roundup, we love you. Um, But for our purposes, it, it is the love killer today, right? So, so what causes things to wilt? What is the roundup in our lives as Christians? And the first is this, religion, religion can make love grow dull. Religion can make love grow dull. Revelations 2.4 says this, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. This is Jesus talking to a particular church in the book of Revelation that did absolutely everything right. They did all the right things. They were doing all the service projects. They were, they were serving the community. They had all the right beliefs, right? Their, their doctrine was good. Their theology was good. Their thoughts about God were good. They had it all figured out down to a science. But Jesus had a particular issue with them and he looked at them or he wrote to them, I should say, and he said, you've abandoned love. You've abandoned love. See, you can do all the right things. Think all the right things. Say all the right things. But if you have love, or if you don't have love, you're a noisy gong, right? 1 Corinthians 13, one says this. If I speak with human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I gotta tell you, in this world that we live in, there's a whole lot of noise. There's a whole lot of noise. But listen, the church can become a contributor to that noise if they don't have love. Right? We can be truthful. We can do the right things. We can do all, all of that. But if we don't have love, we are just, we're just adding and compounding the noise in our society that quite honestly is just annoying. Right? Like all the noise mixed together, no love. It's not, it's not melodi- melodious. I don't know. How did Jason help me with the musical terms? It's not, it's not working. And so here's the application for us as a church. We have to be very careful not to allow religion to dull our love, our love for people and our love for God. I think one of the ways we do this is we create, I'm not saying we're doing this right now, but we create this cookie cutter mentality when it comes to Christianity. That is to say that we are really good at defining what is Christian and what is not. And if you don't fit it in that cookie cutter, we don't love you very well. Right, if we're not careful, religion can do this to us. We can, we can create these tribal rules that don't really exist and make everybody fit and conform. And only if you fit in this cookie-cutting shape can you really call yourself a Christian. So we gotta be careful not to allow religion to do this to us. And we also have to be careful not to assume that we have a monopoly on how authentic faith ought to be lived out in our world. 
Like I think we, we build these ideas or these, these practices of what it looks like for us to live a faithful life in Christ. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot in the Bible that teaches us this, but we create even the methodology. If you, if you miss on this methodology, you clearly can't be expressing your faith in an authentic and real way, right? And so we begin to monopolize what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus. And that, my friends, will dull our love for others. Then you ask this question, how can we tell that this is happening in our lives? Like, how do we know? How do we know? Look, we know this is happening when we look at other denominations and we just say, well, they don't do that right. They don't do it the right way. We know this is happening in our lives when we metaphorically, we would never get caught doing it. We would never literally do it, but we metaphorically roll our eyes at somebody in our small group that answers a question they should get right, but they get it wrong. They say the wrong thing or they, they misquote a verse out of context. And so if we're not careful, we can be like, oh, just cringe at that. Like, oh, they don't understand God. You know, they don't get it. And look, even if we don't quote, roll our eyes at them, they can tell. They can tell, and it makes them feel unwelcome. All right, we know this is happening when we're participating at another church. Maybe we don't get to go to Grace one Sunday, we're at a family's church, and we're in there, and the entire time, we're not, we're, instead of trying to receive what God has for us during the service, the whole time we're just saying, man, they sure do communion funny. They sure do communion funny. See, if we're not careful, we, all of us, can fall into these traps because we, we try to construct and think about how we, we live out our faith with authenticity, and we, we, we call into question any expression of faith that doesn't look like ours. We need to be very careful that that doesn't kill the love that we have for one another. You know, Jesus in John 17, he prayed for something. He prayed for unity in his church. And he also said in John 17 that the world would know, I mean, it might be John 13, but one of those two, that the world would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. And listen, religion oftentimes convolutes our love for one another. I think the world looks at the church and sees all the differences, the bickering, the arguing, the fighting. And don't get me wrong, truth's important and it's good to discuss those things. But I think they can see all that and they go, I don't know, man, they don't, they don't seem like they're really together on this thing. And so they call into question our love for one another and in that way, there's this resistance that we could crush if we learn to love one another. So we have to be careful, right? So now if the first dose of Roundup is deadly because it is not accepting or understanding enough, this next dose of Roundup is deadly because it confuses love with acceptance, which actually is the second thing. This will kill love. It will kill love when you confuse love with acceptance, See, in our society today, love has been redefined as acceptance, right? When people say, I, I love wins, what they're really saying is acceptance wins. They're not saying love wins. They're saying acceptance wins, right? So here's what I've learned about love in our society. If we say that we really love people, then we must never disagree with anything regarding their lifestyle and their ideology. Like love, like it's all over the news, if you, if, if you disagree with this, you don't love this person. It's like, well, that's not true. I really do love them. I do love them. I love them a lot. That's when you confuse love with acceptance. And don't get me wrong. We are definitely supposed to be accepting of people, right? Jesus is a perfect example of this, right? He chose to eat with tax collectors. He hung out with prostitutes, 
One of his disciples was what the Bible calls a zealot, which essentially was an anarchist, a rebel against the, 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 the government. I mean, he was a troublemaker, could have been thrown in jail. Do you know Barabbas mentioned in the scripture? He was a zealot. He was in jail for killing a Roman official. Why? Because he was a zealot. He was against the establishment. And Jesus hung out with these people. And the list goes on and on. Yet Jesus, in his acceptance of others, never ignored their sin. Right? He would speak the truth to others with great, great love. And I think one of the best examples of this is the woman at the well. All of society, woman at the well, in John chapter 4, there's a lady that Jesus comes into contact with, has a lengthy discussion with her, loves her, cares for her, and then later commissions her to go share the gospel in her community. But when Jesus encounters this woman, who, by the way, was completely outcast by all of society, she was at the well alone. Why? Because nobody loved her. Nobody loved her. And Jesus was there. He accepted her, but he did not ignore the fact that she had sin in her life. He purposely asked this question, where is your husband? He knew the answer. He knew. And she, she, she kind of negated it like, well, you know. And he's like, no, 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 no. You've had five husbands and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. He brought her sin to the table, but he never shamed her in that moment. He just wanted her to deal with her sinfulness. And then he talked to her about living water and finding forgiveness. And then she, after, after experiencing an encounter with this loving, accepting Messiah, who, by the way, didn't shirk her sin. She, she had to turn from it and change her lifestyle. She then went and told everybody about him everywhere in her community. See, Jesus accepted her, but he didn't ignore her sin. And I believe that's because he knew this, right? This is a quote Francis Chan said, true compassion takes into account far more than what a person feels today, it takes into account what he or she will feel on judgment day. Right, like I think we, we're like, well, to be loving, I've got to just ignore that because if I bring it up, it's gonna create friction and conflict and maybe they're gonna feel ousted or, out, or put out. It's like, no, that's not true. There's a way to accept somebody and care for them while at the same time dealing with the things that are wrong in their life. I have this picture for you that I wanna show you. Um, Yes, this, this is Judges uh, 21, 25. In those days, this is in Israel, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And here's the thing, we could see somebody start to put this in the coffee cup. We probably would be like, yo, you know what? That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> like, I get that all things are permissible, but let's, let's, like, you can put that in the Keurig, but let's just be honest, it's not gonna end up well, right? So we, we do this with people's lives, though. We see them making choices, and in it, in, because we confuse love with acceptance, we see them making choices that are destroying their lives and we say nothing. We say nothing to them. We don't address it. We don't confront it. We just see them making this pattern. It's like, well, if I bring it up, then I don't really love them. No, if you really love them, you would bring it up. I hope you would point this out to me. If I accidentally put garlic in the Keurig, please tell me. I don't want a cup of garlic sauce, okay? Right, maybe if I had a breadstick, maybe, right? But we do this, and that's why Ephesians 4.15, this, is, this is, should be our, one of our, our battle cries in, in fighting against turning love into acceptance. And it says this, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Again, if you look at the definition of love, when we do this speaking the truth in love, we can't be rude, we can't be condescending, arrogant, religiously rigid, but we do have to tell the truth and we do it with love. And that's how we show 
that we really love people. But enough talking about wilting. Let's focus on some flourishing. All right, we're going to move on. So the second part of stirring and cultivating love in our lives has to do with figuring out what causes growth and embracing it, right? And so we're going to talk about the Scots of love, what will cause love to flourish. And, uh, you know, when I think about it, it's like when, when, you're, when you're thinking about love in your life, I'm going to do this one time. So you, that's it. You get one time. Maybe, maybe twice, maybe. But, but you've got to learn to feed it. Right? Nobody knows the commercial? No laughs. That's all right. That was my best attempt at being a Scot, the Scotsman on the commercial that says, you know, Scots. And he says, feed it. Feed it. Okay, so I'll give up. It was worth a try. It was worth a try. But if you want to learn how to feed and cultivate love in your life, You've got to learn what causes growth. And I'm going to, there's so much, right? We could talk and talk and talk, but there's only two, there's two practical ways that we can, we can create or cultivate love in our lives. The first is this, careful consideration cultivates love, right? Another way of saying this is love listens. Check this out, Hebrews 10, 24, a very familiar verse. Going to go from a different angle here though with it. It says this, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works not neglecting to gather together. So this is real interesting. I noticed this when I was was reading the CSB. Part of the reason I decided to use that version today in the sermon is because of the way they translate this verse. Look at the verse. It says, and let us, this is interesting, consider one another. So a lot of you are familiar with this verse. You probably grew up hearing it said this way. And let us consider how we can provoke one another to love and good deeds. That is to say that when we gather, like that, if we translate the verse that way, that is to say that when we gather together, we're trying to figure out ways that we can spur each other on so that we'll do good deeds and so that we'll love. But this word consider here, I think the CSB translates it better. It says this, let us consider not what we do, but one another. Right, so the same word consider here is, is used in Romans chapter four. And Abraham says of himself, he considered, he carefully thought about his body, his health. He considered himself to be practically dead. And in the context of that was, he, it's a promise that God gave him that you're gonna have a son. Well, he's old, he's really old. He's in his late 90s. And he's like, I'm not gonna have a son. I can barely function. How am I gonna raise a son? And so he considered carefully his body and that he was, quote, practically dead. And so he was like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm having some doubts here. But he did decide to have faith. Now, if you take that, that same phrase, and when we're talking about considering other people, the application for us is this. If we want to stir up love in our lives, we have to seek to better understand people. We have to seek to better understand people. We have to be good listeners. We have to carefully consider the people around us. And, and so we might be in like, for example, a small group and we're, we're, we're trying to learn to love one another. And, and we realize we're like, I'm not like a lot of these people. They're very different. So I don't know if this is a good fit for me. And, and if you're not careful, you, you'll miss a sweet and incredible opportunity because this verse says that if you carefully consider that person, if you listen to them, if you seek to understand them, if you hear their heart, even if it's things they're saying you might not even agree with or you think it's different or just backwards, whatever, but if you listen with careful intent, you'll learn to love them. You'll learn to love them. That's what this is saying. You know, I I can't help but think that this could happen even in the hot topics of our society, 
right? Like instead of just shutting somebody down because they disagree with us, like whether it's an issue of race, right? Like, or if it's an issue of whatever, any, anything you say, economics, your, your political agendas, whatever. If we would seek to, I, I feel like our, even the parties, they don't listen to each other. They don't listen. They just fight. That's all they do the whole time. They fight. They don't, there's no way to love. But if they would like seek to understand the other person's point of view, perhaps there would be more love. Well, same is true for us in our church. If we will seek to understand and, and learn to love that person, then maybe our love would flourish. The last thing, the last practical thing is in order to allow love to flourish in our life, to stir it up, to cultivate it, we have to have consistent community. You see, consistent community cultivates love. So 1 John 1.14, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory and the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This simply says that Jesus, Jesus understood this concept. Now, now I'll get into that in a minute because you're saying, oh, you're saying that Jesus learned to love us more by coming here. No, he demonstrated his love more by coming here. But that's crazy that God of the universe came and dwelt among us. John 3, 16, many of you could quote it. Check this out, the very beginning of the verse. For God loved the world in this way, or maybe you've heard, you, you memorized it this way, I bet. For God, what? So loved the world. All right, so I think a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can read John 3, 16, and we can, we can turn that word so into like the quantity of his love. Like, I love pizza so much. That's a quantitative statement. But what the verse is actually saying is that God loved the world in this way. That word so is a Greek word that communicates how he did it. How did God love the world? He sent his son. That's how he did it. He sent his son. And I believe if you look all through scripture, God is constantly trying to get near to us, to be with us. He's so committed to being with us that John 14, 6, we already said, he came, or John, John 1, 14, he came and lived among us. And I, I believe this, right? While it's true that God could not love us any more than he already does or any less than he already does, the Bible talks in several instances about Christ making his joy complete, right? Like, how does that work? Well, he made his joy complete by going to the cross. It says that he was better equipped to be our mediator by, by identifying with our weakness. So that when it comes to love, I think there's a sense in which God's love received an exclamation point when he decided to live among us, right? It's not to say that he learned to love us more, but he was saying, look, I'm showing you how to do this. If you wanna truly love people, get close to them, learn about them, spend time with them. Spend time with them, which is where we're going. The application, it's simple. It's very simple. If you want to love people, spend time with them, right? So we're about to leave, and this is kind of the closing example. We're about to leave today to go to Project Shine, and um, we're taking 25 students and five adults with us to go serve and paint houses in Kenmore. But I gotta tell you, this happens every year, and people go, why, why are you so, like, I'm, I'm like a little mosquito that annoys people all year long. I try to get you to try to get the students to go. Why, why, Stephen, do you want them to go so bad? Here's why, because if they go, they'll learn to love one another. Bro, they come back, I promise you, you kid, if, you're, if they're going, they come back building relationships with each other they didn't have before they left. And God teaches them to love one another, right? And so I wanna just close in, in thinking these practical ways, let's consider how we can stir up love, cultivate love in our lives by 
carefully considering people, avoiding religion that dulls things, avoiding turning love into acceptance, and then of course, by spending time with other people. And it's through love, through that vehicle that God is going to use the fruit. Like, I bet this would taste really good. I just, I'm not gonna drink it, but it would taste really good. It's probably warm now, so, but. But the point is that this love, cultivating love in our lives makes people come with a little bit more attraction to our faith. We wanna reach the world. Let's, let's show them honorable, noble character by stirring up the fruits of the spirit in our life, okay? So let's pray and we'll be done. God, again, we are so grateful and so thankful for your goodness, your faithfulness to us. Lord, it is honestly just an honor to know that you, when I trust in you, put your spirit inside me and that you give me everything that I need to live a godly life. And yet, God, I don't always live that way. And I know others can identify with that. And so, Lord, my prayer today is just that we would seek to continually stir up in our, stir our relationship with you so that we can bear fruit that is magically delicious to this world. And our hope is that people would see your character in us and they would desire that same relationship that we have with you in their own lives. So Lord, help us cultivate this fruit. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We hope to see you again next week as we continue this series. God bless y'all.